and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know what to believe. We don't want to approach the Bible trying to back up what we already believe. We want to know what the truth is because it's God's Word and God's Word alone. Sola Scriptura. It's alive. It's active. It works in the hearts of those who believe. The Bible says that it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. You can get this podcast wherever you subscribe to podcast at. We have full-length teachings. We'll have one a little bit later on tonight that will be uploaded on the podcast tomorrow on what the Bible says about suffering. Specifically, does God have a purpose in suffering and how does he use difficulties and sufferings in our own lives? Uh, now also, we have uh, a shorter teaching called Hot Topics and that is a teaching that we do um, that is about 15 to 20 minutes long and it's on just that, Hot Topics. And then we have our Truth Quest Q&A. Good to see you guys as you start to pop on and join me. It's good to see you as well. We have our first question, which is from a previous Q&A, which was about one of the parables. It's the parable of the unjust judge. And I can understand why you would have questions about this parable and another one that is like it. I call it the parable of the annoyed neighbor. So let's go ahead and, and, and talk about this parable of the unjust judge. So it's a judge who refuses to do what's right, refuses to rule for a particular woman even though her case is right. But she meets him every day as he goes to the courtroom. And every day she says, rule for me. And finally, he rules for her. Not because he thinks she's right, but because she has annoyed him. And then Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father answer your prayers when you ask him? Now, the parable of the annoyed neighbor is similar. The neighbor has a visitor come over, doesn't have any bread. So he goes next door in the middle of the night, knocks on his neighbor's door, says, give me some bread. He says, I can't. My kids are in bed with me. I can't give, I don't have anything to be able to give you guys. Um, uh, he continues to knock until the neighbor, not because he's his friend, but because he continues to knock, gets up and gives him some bread. And then it says, how much more will God answer your prayers? So what's the idea of the unjust judge and the annoyed neighbor? That God gets annoyed with us? That he's up in heaven going, I wish you would stop praying, and just so you can stop praying, I'm gonna give you what you want? Not at all. It's a parable of contrast, not a parable of comparison. And the reason this confuses us is because there are so many parables that are parables of contrast, that are parables of comparison. Um, you compare it you know, to a spiritual truth, but this is a contrast. It's this, if an unjust judge will rule for a woman just because she asks for him to do so every day, how much more will your heavenly father answer your prayers when you ask because he wants to give to you? If an annoyed neighbor will finally give because of his persistence, how much more will your heavenly father give to you when you persist? Jesus goes on in these parables to say that Jesus told them these parables that they would continue in prayer 
and not give up. So I think that that's exactly what God has for us. So it's good to see you guys here today. Um, if there's anybody popping on from Facebook, let me know. All I see on here is YouTube. Uh, before we get into our next question, let me go ahead and uh, just take a look here and see, make sure that we are streaming on uh, YouTube. Uh, of course, that's, let me go ahead and get on this other computer here. Um, of course, that computer doesn't, I'm not logged in, right? So, um, yeah, it looks like all we're getting is YouTube today. Daniel, I don't know if you can go and make sure uh, that that is, that it's streaming on Facebook as well. Let me go ahead and just pull this up here and see what's happening. And uh, then we'll get into your questions. I see questions, some questions coming in right away. There's Restream. All right, let's see what's happening here. So, um, it looks like we have online, online, online. All right, there we go. All right, so it's come on. It just took a little while to come on. All right, so um, welcome. It's good to have you guys here. We're gonna take some time to look at questions through the lens of scripture. Our desire is to know what the truth is so we can know what to believe. God's word being the ultimate authority in each one of our lives. Daniel, good to see you. Daniel's here, he's our moderator. It's good to see you, Daniel. Um, uh, everyone, it's uh, good to see you guys joining us. Uh, we have a question here from Albert uh, to start with after our initial question, which was, was from a previous Q&A. Albert, good to see you. Hope things are going well. Albert says, hello, Pastor. Can you explain 1 Kings 19.11? Is the writer demonstrating that God is not in the wind or the earthquake because he is the creator of both and he controls both of his powers. Thank you. All right, Alex, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's go ahead and go there and I will pull it up on the screen for you guys so you guys can see it. That's 1 Kings 19.11. So let me get there. And this is Elijah, right? And God is going to speak to him. God reveals himself to Elijah. Elijah, I think at this point, has been on the run. He has been. He's been on the run from Jezebel. It's really interesting. Elijah faces the 450 prophets of Baal and is victorious. And they really belong to, to Jezebel. And he, and he finally and he destroys them. And then there's that, the fist of rain as Elijah prays fervently, which is a great lesson on prayer. And then there's this prayer, this rainstorm that comes and Elijah hears that Jezebel wants to destroy him. And he turns and he runs um, from, from her. Someone said he should have ran from Jezebel and maybe so, or maybe stand his ground. So God then wants to speak to him and we have that in verse 11, which Alex brought up. So let me go ahead and bring that up on the screen for you and we'll take a look at it, okay? So um, it says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, behold the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks to pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, 
but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, which is his cloak, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice that came to him said, um, voice that came to him said, oh, yeah, having some mistakes here. All right, so the voice that said to him, came to him and, and said, um, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed the prophets, and I am alone and left to seek, and, uh, and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive in Hazel as king over Syria, also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nemash. All right, so God goes on to tell him that he's not alone, and um, so what is the lesson of this windstorm that knocks over rocks, the earthquake and the fire, and then God speaking in a still small voice. And let me go back, Alex, to what your question was. Let's see, did I put it in the first question? Yeah, all right. So your question was, um, is the writer demonstrating that God is not in the wind or the earthquake um, because he is the creator of both and he is controlled both in his power. Thank you. Um, I think, Alex, that what God is trying to say is, is that he, he, he's not speaking in the wind. He's not speaking in the, or the earthquake. He's not speaking in the fire. These would all be things that get our attention and God would speak to us. But God speaks to us in a still, small voice. God speaks to us through his, through his word. I was going to grab my Bible. It's not that close. But God speaks to us through his word. And when God speaks to our hearts, he speaks in that still, small voice. And I believe that that's what God's demonstrating uh, in, in this. Sometimes we expect the spectacular to happen when God just speaks to us right where we are. Um, also, when the Lord speaks to, to me in that way, and when God speaks to me in that way, I find myself saying, I believe God said to me, and I want to know what the Word of God says because I don't ever want to contradict what God says. God's never going to tell me anything that's going to contradict what is said. So that's what I think he's saying there. Could he be saying that God created both the earthquakes and um the the fire um maybe i think more so he's saying if you, you hear a voice in the earthquake or the fire it doesn't necessarily mean it's from me and god speaks to him in a still small voice god gives him direction but god for us is never going to contradict his word elijah was living in a different time uh, than you and i were living in and god is never going to contradict his word so i appreciate you um Alex, and your question. We have a question here from Jari. Jari says, and Jari, it's good to see you. Jari says, why didn't Jesus take the hyssop at the cross? What would have happened if he had? Thank you. So um, at one point they offer him something to drink. And as far as I understand it, this is something that when, when they offered him to him, first of all, that would have numbed the pain of the cross. And Jesus refused it, thereby taking the full force of the cross on himself. Now, a little bit later on, he cries out, he thirsts, and they give him something to drink. 
And whether this is the same thing or not, I'm not sure, but Jesus takes it and drinks it. And it may be by then the full force of everything that he's going through he's facing. But Jesus is not using any form of anesthetic at all. And I think that's what it's talking about. Um, what would have happened? Probably nothing. Um, I don't know of a passage and there may be, I'm thinking like there might be something in the Bible that talks about them offering him something and him not taking it. But I can't remember now whether or not that's there or what that is. Um, but I just think it was Jesus making a statement that he was taking the full force of all of the pain and all of the suffering uh, that he was gonna take on upon himself and have there at the cross. All right, Jari, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. Uh, so we have a question from Linya. Linya says, question, is it bad to have prayed that everyone would be saved? Um, I don't think it's bad to pray that everyone would be saved. Uh, just take your family. If you're gonna pray for everybody in your family to be saved, I believe that you ought to lay a foundation of prayer for everyone that is around you. Seek God for them, pray for them, pray that God would move in their lives. I believe that God has given everyone the opportunity to get saved. I believe that he has provided for everyone and anyone who believes on him will be saved. Anyone who calls out on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so it's kind of a shotgun effect if you're gonna pray that everybody in the world would be saved. I would be a little bit more, or I am in my prayers, a little bit more specific. I'm looking for someone to pray for, to pray that God would move in their lives in certain ways. I'm asking God to do whatever his will is and what he sees fit. I don't believe that God will override someone's free will. God's sovereign. God is so sovereign, he can give somebody a free will if he chooses to. And that we should be praying for those who can make, uh, who have never made a commitment to him. I don't think it's wrong to pray for everybody, but it's kind of like praying when you go to bed at night, God bless everybody in the world. It's not very specific. And I think our prayers are more powerful when they are more specific. Is God gonna answer that prayer? Probably not, not everybody in the world is going to be blessed. He may bless some people because of your prayer, but I don't know that he'll bless everybody. I think it's a lot better in prayer if we get really specific about what we would like God to do and how we would like God to move. Um, and when it comes specifically for, for praying for people to be saved, that we would seek him for someone who's close to us, maybe make a list of 10 people you're praying for. It doesn't mean you could pray for more than that, but hey, um, use like notes on your phone. Make a prayer list and you know, when you pull out your phone and you're standing in line and you're just looking at whatever you can look at in order to occupy the time, why not redeem some of that time by making a list of things you pray for, people that you're praying for and start praying for them. You could even put a check mark after it when that person commits their lives to Christ. You, you might have a list of 20 something people. There might be some way you could mark it in your notes that you're praying for them, that you're seeking God for that individual. Uh, the Bible says that if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we will have what we ask. And um, 
So we know God wants people to get saved because the Bible says that God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And we ought to lay that foundation of prayer, offer ourselves up to God as an opportunity to be able to be used by him to reach out and make a difference in that person's life. So no, it's not bad to pray that everyone would be saved, but I would not replace that with a specific prayer. And getting back to prayer lists, I mean, we've got our phones now. Um, I used to keep a sheet of paper, kind of yellow pad by my bed, and I would write down names of people I was praying for on that yellow pad now. I have a phone, we can do the same exact thing that we were doing before with a pad and a pencil, and we have our phone almost with us everywhere we go. We could use that for the positive. I want to, um, I want to do a hot topic on ways in which we can make the phone a positive in our lives instead of a negative. I might talk about five negative things about a cell phone and five positive things about a phone and how we can, Paul said, redeem the time, how we can redeem our phone. One of them is by making a list of people to pray for. Uh, pray for Christians, pray for non-Christians, and then when you're standing in line and you've got a few minutes to kill, boom, open up that note, begin to pray for people as you're standing in line. Um, I believe there is a lot of prayerlessness that is taking place, and this gives us an opportunity uh, to be able to do that. And um, thank you, Tyler. Uh, I think that would make a great hot topic. Maybe it's something that I'll get working on here uh, pretty soon. So we have a question here from Yamaha. 1024. If you're new here, it's good to see you. I think you're new here, Yamaha. This is the first question that you've given us. Really good to see you. I hope that you guys are blessed. If you have a question, then write the word question in front of your question. Write it out a couple, read it, write it out, then read it a couple times. Make sure it makes sense before you go ahead and submit it into the comment section and we'll take them in the order that you have received them. We do this Q&A every Wednesday and Saturday. Again, our desire is to look at questions through uh, the light of God's word. All right, so um, Yamaha 1024 says, Hi, Pastor Robert. I wanted, uh, I watched and loved American gospel in Christ alone and wanted to know your thoughts, if any, on the video. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm bad about watching things and remembering them completely. So I watched both of them and I do believe it is in Christ alone that I liked it better than the other one. So I think that they pointed out that a lot of teaching today is very introspective. That rather than looking at a text and finding out what the text says, and how that can be how that should be applied to our lives, and a lot of it has to do with what Jesus did for us. Um, they'll take every single text and they'll make it about you, so that it's not about Christ and Christ alone. And that was the idea. And um, the faith movement, prosperity gospel, a lot of churches will do this. They'll spend the whole time, if, if, there's gonna, if, if they want to teach on the curse of the fig tree, they would then talk about how 
you don't want to be cursed and you don't want God to curse you. And so you want to make sure that you have a good destiny and things are strong for you and you've got a good positive future. And so you want to make sure that you're doing things that bless you. And so then they might talk about verses that talk about blessing and they'll always use scriptures, but they won't talk about the truth that God's wrath is upon mankind. And I think that was really pointed out in the American gospel really well that we are all under God's wrath and we need to be set free from that. And um, I thought it was really, really good. I thought the second one that came out wasn't as good as the first, although I did like it. And I'd love to see a little bit more journalism along these lines. All right. Um, and you could kind of watch for that in sermons. It's not, it's not wrong to look for application. But when a message is taught and, and everything is about the individual instead of about, about what the Bible is teaching us from that, it might be hard to find an application. Plenty of passages that I, I really struggle to find a, a good application for that, but that's okay. It's okay to not even have an application to go, this is the truth of God's word. Let's take that truth into our lives, make it become a part of it and make it become very powerful. And um, the truth that was pointed out here, that we are all under God's wrath and that we're set free from the wrath of God by Jesus Christ was, um, was very, very, uh, very, very powerful. All right. Thanks. Um, thank you, Yamaha. I appreciate uh, your question. Let me just take a look here and see what other questions we might have uh, that are that are up. All right, well, we have another question, but let me just talk a little bit more, just a touch more about the wrath of God abiding upon us. Um, so a lot of the gospel today is God loves you. God still loves the world, right? And God's got a plan for your life. And if you give your life to Jesus, God's going to make your life better. And a lot of what is neglected is you're under the wrath of God. And in order to have God's wrath turned away, Jesus went to the cross, took the wrath of God on the cross so you and I are not under the wrath of God at all anymore. And that is a message that needs to be taught. It's a message that needs to be given to people who don't know Jesus to escape the wrath that is to come. All right, so thank you very much for your question, Yamaha. Um, I do love uh, journalistic work like um, the American Gospel. And I think uh, there are gonna be a lot more stuff that's done along of those lines. So we have a question here from Tyler. Tyler, good to see you. By the way, Tyler, I've got that new cable in. I got the microphone a little bit closer. Tyler ordered a cable for me this last week. And I think the sound is a whole lot better. Maybe you guys could kind of give me some feedback onto what the sound's like. I know with my old cable, it was stretched and further away. And there was a little bit of a hiss and um, I put this cable in and I'm just gonna be quiet here for a minute. You might be able to hear the hiss that's coming up from my computer um, just a little bit, but I think it's pretty good sound. And um, so let me know, give me a thumbs up, thumbs down, or let me know what you think of the way it sounds. So Tyler says, where do you think the line is from having personal application from scripture and being self-centered? I think, um, narcissism, one of the things that I need to do is silent that, silence that thing. I think narcissism is 
a, a strong problem when it comes to Christianity today. Um, I think we live in a time where we want to post things online. We want people to look at us. We live in the selfie generation. And I think it's really easy to cross that line and be thinking that everything in the Bible is about me. So we're trying to read it and find out what is it saying that's about me rather than studying what it really and truly is about. So the Bible says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, right? Philippians chapter two. And Narcissus was a Greek god, wandered into a cave, found a puddle of water, was a beautiful man, stared in the water, saw how good looking he was, and looked at it until he died. And that's narcissism. We become so obsessed with ourselves, with whether or not people like our posts, with what does this passage mean to me and how can I apply it to my life? And application's good when application is there. But I think that we should be studying scriptures to find out what it means and what it says. And sometimes the application is hard application. We read it and we go, man, that's, that's, that's difficult. That's hard stuff that's there. And uh, we might find ourselves really, really struggling um, with what it's saying. And so we're trying to find something that's a little bit more positive. So Tyler, thank you. Your question is a little bit more in line with the American gospel one um, that we just had, uh, Christ alone. Um, and, and, and the more we find out about God, the more I find out about me, the more I'm finding out my own applications or worried about my own destiny. Um, Keith Green had a song and I can't remember what the name of the song is, but he said one of the lines in the song was, it's so hard for me to see when my eyes are on me. And it's hard for us to walk for Christ and to live for Christ when we're just looking at ourselves instead of figuring out how awesome God is. Um, you know, we, we've heard God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I think that that is true, but there's so much that we can learn about God and who God is and how powerful God is that it can be really, really strong and really, really important. So thank you, Tyler, for your question. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Raquia. Hopefully I'm getting your name right here, Raquia. And I'm just gonna take a look here and see whether I got any feedback on my sound yet. So I changed the sound cable. I'm able to talk a little bit quieter because uh, the microphone is so much closer to me. It's right there now, a lot, lot closer. I don't have to get so loud in this. Um, so Raquia says, hi, Pastor. Hello, Raquia, how are you? Uh, God wants to free the Israelites, but tells Moses a few times that he will harden Pharaoh's heart and does it. Why is this, why is this if he wanted to get them out of Egypt? So I appreciate your question, Raquia. And this is an often asked question that people have. And I wish, I wish I had the text or I wish I could take time to find it. I don't think I'm going to. I'm just gonna go ahead and give you what it is and you could take time to look it up later on. And maybe I'll prepare this for a question beforehand where we can actually go to the scriptures. But as you're reading the account of Pharaoh and, and God, Pharaoh hardens his heart and then God hardens Pharaoh's heart and then Pharaoh hardens his heart and then God Pharaoh's hardens heart. And I'm not sure exactly how it goes, whether God says he's going to do it first and then Pharaoh hardens it or whether Pharaoh hardens it and then God hardens it. But what God is doing is supporting 
what Pharaoh's doing. If you harden your heart against God, I believe that your heart will be hardened. If you soften your heart, I believe that your heart will be softened as well. And so, yes, God wanted the children of Israel to be freed, and God did what God had to do to be able to set them free. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened by him, and then God firmed up that decision that he made. And I wonder if that isn't the case with us as well, if God doesn't firm up the decisions that you and I make. So that if we make a decision that we want to draw near to God, the Bible says in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The rest of the verse, by the way, which is often unquoted, says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. So the idea is that sin is keeping you from God, being double-minded is keeping you from God, and you need to get rid of those things. But when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. I think also, when you harden your heart like Pharaoh, then your heart will be hardened as well. Then God will firm up the decision that you made uh, to harden your heart as well. Um, and that if you want to draw near to him, that God will draw near to you. So take some time to read through that passage, require and see if you can't find that where Pharaoh hardens his heart and then God hardens his heart because I think that it's saying something there that is very important uh, to each one of us. All right, so thank you very much, Requia. Good to see you, hope you have a great day. We have a question here from Matthew. Matthew says, uh, can you tell me the difference between the last days and the seven year tribulation? Does it mean last days of the church? Or are we slightly into the seven-year trib? I'm pre-trib 100%, by the way. Well, I'm really glad you're pre-trib because that means you are right, Matthew. Um, I'm pre-trib too. I stole from Charles Swindoll the statement, I'm so pre-trib, I can't eat post-toasties. And um, I, I really do feel that way. And the main reason I'm pre-trib, we could talk about all the reasons that I'm, I'm pre-tribulation. There's a lot of them. But the main one is that the Bible says, be ready. Jesus said, be ready. You don't know when the Son of Man's coming. The Son of Man is going to come in a time that you do not expect him. And so I don't believe that he's going to come in a time that, you can, that you're going to be expecting him. It's at a time of peace and safety when people say that. But to your question, Matthew, you ask about the seven-year trial and tribulation period. Do I believe that we are slightly into it? No, I don't believe that. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there who are sane that we are right now, but I don't think that's the case. And um, they're going back to some of the things that have happened that could be a fulfillment of scripture um, that are kind of strange and some signs um, that are up in the skies. So um, yeah, I um, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter two, and Joel says in the last day, God's gonna pour out his spirit on all flesh. In Acts chapter two, uh, Peter says, this is a fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so the spirit is poured out on everyone, not just kings and prophets and leaders, judges, like it was in the Old Testament. But now every Christian has the Holy Spirit and you can all, we can all be empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. So in that way, we're living in the last days and have been since the church age began. That's the last age 
before the end. And that's why it's called the last days because it's the last days before the trial and tribulation period. As far as believing that we're in the last days, I think that we are seeing things come to pass that are um, globalism, uh, a move towards globalism. I think we're seeing things accelerated. It doesn't mean that God might not be able to intervene and really slow things down again because I think that he could. God's perfect. God desires all people to get saved. He's not slack concerning his promises. Um, but I do believe we are in the last of the last days because of the nation of Israel. We are the first generation. The generation alive today is the generation that saw Israel become a nation after being driven out of the promised land in 70 AD. And in 1967, which I was alive during that time, and that probably is the most significant prophecy to be fulfilled during my lifetime, Jerusalem came under Israeli control. And Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Increasingly, East Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, are getting more and more in control of Israel. And I think that that is a sign that we are living in the last days. And that's the reason I believe that we're living in the last days. We could say there's a sense that we were living in the last days since the day of Pentecost, but there is the last of the last days. And Israel is a nation again. The Jews have returned to Jerusalem. God has restored the land. All of this was foretold beforehand and is very strong passages that help us to clearly understand that, uh, that Jesus Christ is going to come back soon and we are to look up. Jesus said, when you see these things happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And um, I really appreciate your question. All right. So Matthew, have a good, have a good afternoon. Uh, we have another question here from Yamaha, uh, 1024. Uh, good to see you again. Yamaha said, how can I be a seed that falls on good soil? My heart truly desires it, but I always seem to fall away. So I appreciate your question, Yamaha and um, Yamaha 1024, and welcome to the club. The Bible says that our spirit battles against the flesh and the flesh battles against the spirit so we don't do the things that we want. So there's this battle going on inside of us. And I believe that if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap life. And if you sow to the spirit, if you sow to the, excuse me, let me go back and say that correctly. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, from the spirit you will reap life. And the Bible says that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So this is such a good question, Yamaha uh, 1024, because we should have that desire to be able to do all of the things that God has called us to do clearly and that we want to walk close with him and that we want to keep short accounts with him. And we're told that if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the question is, are you walking in the spirit? And do you get up? Do you endeavor to give that day to God and to walk in the spirit that day? The Bible also says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. This is an Old Testament passage. Are you delighting yourself in God? Or are you delighting yourself in the things of the world? If you're delighting yourself in the things of the world, then there's no, 
there's no wonder that you find yourself doing the things that are in the world. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. So if I'm going to delight myself in the Lord and God's going to give me the desires of my heart, if I'm desiring something carnal, then God's not going to give it to me. But what happens when I delight myself in God is God transforms me, changes me, works inside me so that my desires are godly. If I walk in the spirit, I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh because by walking in the spirit, I'm wanting to fulfill the things of the spirit. If I abide in Christ and Christ's words abide in me, then I can have whatever I desire because I'm not abiding in the world and the things of the world abiding in me. So these are very deliberate things that you can do when you find yourself not walking in the ways that, that God wants you to walk with. Now you may have a stronghold that you're dealing with, Yamaha uh, 1024. Um, and strongholds are hard to get rid of. And I would tell you to be patient and to walk in God's grace, but make sure that you are genuine before him. In other words, every time that you repent, say, God, I'm sorry and mean it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that person. And when you are that way, then God honors that and God will forgive you. And God will do that work inside of you where that, that new man, that new woman will be renewed day by day. But the very best advice that I can give you in battling strongholds and not when you're falling into a similar sin over and over and over again is to delight yourself in the Lord. And here's the great thing about that. You just, tomorrow when you get up, you just have to delight yourself in the Lord more tomorrow than you did today. And the rest of the day, you could say, Yamaha uh, 1024, I, um, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord the rest of the day. And then tomorrow you could do it a little more and the next day a little more and the next day a little more. And you're grabbing a hold of the promises of the word of God, which tells us that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What a great promise. So to the spirit, from the spirit you reap life. So to the flesh, from the flesh you reap corruption. When you plant seeds to the flesh, the crop, corruption. When you plant seeds to the spirit, the crop, life. So what kind of things are you doing right now to sow to the spirit? You could take the, your effort today to sow to the things of the spirit to be able to gain the things of life. So hopefully that is uh, a helpful uh, answer to you, uh, Yamaha. I appreciate that. Uh, it's, I, I think it's a strong desire that you and I should really want to do the things that God's called us to do and really want to give him holiness and purity. We want to give him a sanctified life. And may you truly delight yourself in the Lord and may God give you the desires of your heart. And um, another, the last thing I'll say about it is keep short accounts. When you sin, go to him quickly. Make things right between you and God quickly. And I believe that you'll, you'll want to stay clean and uh, stay with him all the more. All right, so thank you very much. We have another question here from Searching. So Searching says, talking about the book of Enoch, which I'm going to admit right away that I don't have a lot of information on, all right? 
So Enoch said, I mean, Enoch is searching, which your name might be Enoch. I mean, I don't know, right? Uh, searching says, have you read the book of Enoch? If so, what are your thoughts about it? Is it a book that would add understanding to the Bible? Here's what I think about the book of Enoch. I have read sections of the book. I've never sat down and read the entire book of Enoch. Um, I've read sections of it when I'm interested in things like the Nephilim and I want to know what a second temple Jewish leader thought about that passage. And so you could go back and you can look at the watchers and the Nephilim and the things that they talk about in there. And that's my research in the book of Enoch. Um, I think uh, the real value, the value is not in scripture, even though Enoch is quoted in the New Testament. It's not scripture. And the value is in scripture. The value is to see how people from the first century or from the first, second temple period interpreted scripture and how they approached it and what they thought. They're a little bit closer to the original and I'm not saying that that gives us weight as to whether it's right or wrong. I'm simply saying we can gain a little bit of knowledge by moving back that far. I feel the same way about the Apocrypha. I think it can be positive uh, to be able to read. Uh, there are some shorter uh, books of the Apocrypha that kind of boil things down and that are easier to read. The same with the Book of Enoch. And I might suggest starting with those. Once you get a basic understanding, you might be able to go back and listen to or read the book of Enoch. Um, this is something that's on my in my future. I've got so many things that I want to listen to. I want to listen to the book of Enoch. That's um, one of the things that I want to do while I'm driving. And I, I do a lot of driving. We have two campuses and I drive back and forth and teach at both of them. And uh, so the book of Enoch is one that I want to get in an audio book and read through. But I do think it can be helpful for us searching. All right, so sorry, I couldn't give you any more information as to exactly what the book of Enoch is really all about because I've never really read it all the way through. All right, so we have a question here from Doug. Doug, good to see you. Good to have you here with us. If you're joining us for the very first time here on TruthQuest Q&A, really glad you're here. We hope that you're blessed by the time that we look at scripture through, we look at questions through the lens of scripture. If you have a question, then write the word question out and then write your question behind it or put a Q in front of it. Sometimes a question mark will do. And um, I'll, I'll get to them in order. Take time to reread your question a couple times. Make sure that it makes sense completely. And um, then we'll take a look at it. I'm not claiming that I have all the answers to all the questions. I'm just saying that we'll be able to take a look at them together I have pastored and taught at a church for 36 years, uh, taught all the way through the Bible three or four times. Um, so I have a, a fairly good foundation to be able to look at these things, okay? So Doug, good to see you. By the way, again, uh, Doug says, did the first Adam have all the same abilities as did the last Adam pre-resurrection? So let me just make sure I'm getting your question, Doug, right? So you're asking if Adam after being created by God, had all of the abilities that Jesus did, because Jesus would be the last Adam, pre-resurrection. So would he have been able to raise people from the dead? Would he have been able to cast out demons with a word? Would he have been able to heal people? Um, I don't think so. 
I think that those are all abilities of God that are being revealed in the Messiah. Jesus is God. When he stands up in the boat and he says, wind, cease and be still, the disciples become fearful and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So that's the question. And then as you make your way through the rest of the gospel, especially right after that, you find him doing miraculous things like raising people from the dead as if they were to answer that question, who is this? By the way, like for example, Jesus was able to walk on water. I don't know that Adam would have been able to walk on water. I doubt if he would have because there's an Old Testament passage which says it is Yahweh that treads on the waves. And it was Yahweh in Jesus, Jesus being the third person of the Godhead that treaded on the waves. And that becomes something that is very powerful. Now, I don't know. Um, I know there's a lot of teaching in the, in the faith movement, in the, um, in the prosperity gospel that talks about Adam and the last Adam. And they make a lot of applications that I don't think that are correct. Um, but I don't know enough about it to elaborate on it greatly. I could take some time to look it up if someone has a little bit more of a question about that. But I do believe that Jesus's abilities were connected with the fact that Jesus was God. He was Yahweh, Yahweh in the flesh. In the beginning, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, that's 1 John, excuse me, that's John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. All right, Doug, thank you for your question. I really appreciate it. We have another question here from Renee. Renee, good to see you. Good to have you here with us today. Renee joins us from Facebook and Renee says, Hi, Pastor, do you have, um, do you have an awesome commentary that you can recommend. Thank you and God bless you. Um, as far as a commentary for the whole Bible, I don't have anything that I, that I recommend. Um, I used the Matthew Henry commentary. I'm talking about pre-internet days. I used the Matthew Henry commentary. I used the pulpit commentary. Um, I used, uh, uh, I think it's James Fawcett and James Fawcett and Brown or James James Fawcett and Brown. I use that one. Um, and these commentaries were good because they could give you kind of the the outline of it, but they weren't really powerful. Um, in a, there are a few books that when I studied, I have found commentaries that are phenomenal on that particular book. For example, James Montgomery Boyce on the Book of John. I don't, I don't know that you can do any better than his commentary on John. James Montgomery Boyce, he was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church of Philadelphia. Donald Barnhouse, his predecessor at the same church, did a six-part series on Romans, which is probably the best work on Romans that you're ever going to get. I do not teach in the book of Romans from the book of Romans without going back and looking at what Donald Barnhouse has to say about the book of Romans. Um, 
Warren Wearsby has his books on his commentaries. Uh, J. Vernon McGee has some um, good good commentary through the Bible. Um, if you like any Calvary teachers, they generally have teachings through every book of the Bible, and some Calvary teachers are, are better than others. Uh, Skip Heitzig from Calvary Albuquerque. Now I was his youth pastor before I came out to Tucson. But he has a lot of really good insight. You can go to his website and you can look up any book of the Bible, just like you could ours as well. You could you could cover any book of the Bible through our webpage, um, through our app. You could download Calvary Tucson's app and you could go to Genesis, Exodus, whatever you want to go. And we're going to have a teaching, a commentary style teaching that goes all the way through the Bible. So that could be helpful. Um, Greg Laurie doesn't have quite as a complete section, but he's got a lot of really good stuff. Um, of course, Chuck Smith has his commentaries on the entire Bible, which is phenomenal. Uh, John Corson, another Calvary guy, has um, a commentary on the entire Bible. It's a little different, but it's really good. So those are gonna be helpful for you to be able to go back and watch. We live in a day when we can look them up online. Um, I, when I'm thinking of other Calvary guys that I would suggest for going to their webpage and looking through it, um, there is, um, oh, I always forget his name, uh, Gary Hamrick from Leesburg, Virginia. Gary's coming out for us for our, um, the Calvary Chapel Southwest Pastors and Leadership Conference will be in March and it's going to be Prophecy 2020 and he'll be coming out for that as well as a few other people, but he's got a lot of great stuff. I love his teaching style as he makes his way through books of the Bible. I think you'll like that. Um, I think Jack Hibbs is really, really good at making his way uh, through the Bible and being able to um, see what the gist of it is. What I'm looking for, uh, Pat Lazovich from Calvary Chapel of Sierra Vista does a great job in covering the text. I'll tell you what drives me crazy, Renee, when I'm looking for a commentaries, when someone just goes and they, I think they got to kill time and they're afraid that the pat they're not going to be able to do it in the passage. So they just start talking about something randomly and they don't talk about the passage for a while. It drives me crazy because I want to know what the passage has to say, but what the word of God has to say. And so Pat Lazovich is one guy that I'll go to if I, if I'm driving, and I want to get a jump on my study and I want to listen to what somebody taught on a passage I'm going to be teaching. Then I'll pull up Pat's app. I get his app. You can pull it, look through all the books of the Bible, pull what he's got up on it, and um, you'll be able to look at it from there. Um, you can also do that with our app. Not only do we have every book in the Bible, but we have, I think, except for Lamentations, which I don't know what happened to Lamentations. Uh, we also have some that are in-depth studies like our book of Philippians, that we're studying right now. Okay, so hopefully that will be helpful to you. We do live in a day and a time when we have the ability to be able to research um, that is unlike any other time that is out there. And I think that that's really going to help you. Um, you wanna spend some money and really get a lot of really good commentaries, then get Logos and buy the commentaries you're interested on Logos. Um, if you want to do it for free, and there are some really good commentaries that are there, um, then use Blue Letter Bible, and that's where I would point you to start. 
They have commentaries that are on there and they can be really, really helpful in really understanding whatever passage you're looking at. All right. So thank you, Renee, for your question. I appreciate that. We have a second question here from Jari. Go ahead and bring your question in here, Jari. Um, Jari says, question, if you don't tell your parents everything, is that lying? If you are going to work and you tell your wife, my dad is picking me up, but sometimes turns out different, is that lying? I guess it depends on the intent, Jari. So if you don't tell your parents everything because you want to do something you know they don't want you to do, then yes, you're hiding. And so I would say that that's considered to be a lie. Um, if you tell someone, uh, my dad's picking me up, but sometimes your mom picks you up, but there's no reason for the deception, then I wouldn't think that that would be telling a lie. I think it has to do with the intent that you have in your heart when you are when you're when you're telling whatever it is that you're telling a um, a person. I see your question here for the future for a future Q and A, Jari, as well, um, which we will bring in. Um, but another question that we might think about when we talk about what's lies and what's not lies, there are times in the Bible when people lied that seems to be justified. And I know this causes certain people real heartache. Um, the midwives were commended by God, but they lied about the Hebrew women giving birth easier than the Egyptian women. Rahab lied about where the, the spies were and she gained salvation and is even in the lineage of Jesus because of that. Um, Jari, honesty is the best policy generally, especially when it comes to those that you are an authority to. Some things are your business. They're not their business. You don't have to tell everybody everything, okay? Um, there are some things that are between you and God. There are some things that are between you and your wife. There are some things that are between you and someone else. As a pastor, you learn this very early. When someone tells you something, when somebody tells me something, I, I'm not even looking for them to say to me, don't tell anybody. I'm generally, if they're talking to me in a pastoral role, I'm not telling anybody anything that that person said because that would be a breach of pastoral ethics. If they're just talking to me randomly and I know it's not in the pastoral role, then I don't mind sharing what someone told me. If it's something that's sensitive, then I'm not going to tell somebody because, well, the Bible says that a friend conceals a matter and an enemy shouts it from a rooftop. All right. So um, hopefully that's helpful, Jari, for um, just being honest. Um, so we have another question here from Annika. Uh, we have a question from Annika. Good to see Annika. I answered uh, one of her questions online. She left a question on a comment. Or you did Annika earlier today and I went ahead and, and answered that question. That's why I said again. So Annika has a question about the gap theory. Let me explain first of all what the gap theory is and then we'll look at your question. What are your thoughts on the gap theory? So the gap theory is that there is a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in fact, let's just go ahead and pull this up and take a look at it because I believe that, that this can be something uh, that we are, can be very, very helpful for us. So I'm going to Genesis just chapter 1. I'm going to go ahead and put that up on the screen for you here. 
And uh, so Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was form, uh, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So the idea here would be that at the end of chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created them without form and void. He created them perfect, good. And then something happened that made them become formless and void. There's a passage in Isaiah, and I can't remember exactly where that passage is, that says, um, yeah, there's a passage in Isaiah, and I can remember exactly where it is, that God created the earth and did not create it formless and void. Now, is he talking about the rest of Genesis 1? The rest of the creation account? Because the creation is not done in Genesis 1. And here's why people came up with the gap theory. Because in the late 50s, early 60s, there was the discovery of the Piltdown Man in England. The Piltdown Man was considered to be a missing link. And it was evidence and presented as such that evolution was true because here we have the missing link. And they dated it and it was dated to whatever it was dated to. And so a lot of Christians had to figure out how do we fit evolution or this half man, half person, how do we fit them into history, into the Bible? And so they came up with the gap theory that God created it, it fell, and when it fell, there were all these creatures there. And then when Adam and Eve finally came along, then that was the beginning of creation. Everything else was before that. That's the gap theory. Come to find out the Piltdown Man was a hoax. It was the head of a human and the jawbone of an orangutan. The teeth were filed down. They saw what they wanted to see. If you look up pictures of the Piltdown Man, you can see the actual teeth that have been filed off. Scientists should have seen it. But this will tell you that certain people will see what they want to see. And um, there was no reason to go there. So Donald Gray Barnhouse, who I talked about with the Book of Romans, wrote a book called um, In Between Two Worlds. No, he wrote a book called The Invisible War. Uh, I think John Stott wrote In Between Two Worlds. Um, the Invisible War. And in that, he talks about the gap theory and defends it, but he wrote it while Piltdown Man was out there. Um, all of the... All of the, the skulls that we have of who they say are pre-human are 100% monkey or lemur or 100% human. Like the Neanderthal, the Neanderthal or Neanderthal. They are human. Um, and when you go back further, you have what are monkeys or, 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 or a extinct form of a lemur that they say that humans came from. And um, so there's no reason to have the gap theory. Did it happen? Did God create the world absolutely perfect? And then was, did some time pass? And then Satan fall from heaven? And then verse 2 came in and the, the, and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the water? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we may be surprised we get up to heaven and find out that it happened. But I don't know that there's any reason for it. And I don't know that any passages really strongly suggest it. I do know that as I listened to the Bible with Pastor Chuck, all the way through the Bible with Pastor Chuck, I noticed that at times he supported the gap theory, at times he rejected the gap theory. And I think that's probably the same for, for most, most of us. At times we feel like, oh, that could be true. And at other times we feel like, nah, it's not true at all. 
All right, Annika, thank you very much uh, for your question. I'll just take a look here and see if we have any more questions. Our hour is almost up. It's good to see you guys. If I have another one here, I'll take it and I'll answer it. We do. Uh, we have a question from Annie. Uh, Annie comes to us from Facebook. Annie, it's good to see you. This will be our last question of the day. If you have other questions, go ahead and write them in. I use them for future Q&As. So go ahead and write your questions down. I rework them a little bit. I don't work in all the nuances, but I rework them a little bit, but I will answer it in a future Q&A as long as it's something that hasn't been answered before and uh, we keep looking at it, okay? Um, so Annie says, um, I have been told that in order for the world to populate back in the days of Adam and Eve, there was incest. Do you believe this? Thank you. I love this time. Well, thank you, Annie. I really appreciate that. Um, so, yes, it's believed that Adam and Eve were the first man and woman, and I believe the Bible teaches that. There's the Apocrypha teachings, and there are those that believe in Lilith, that Lilith was created first, and that Lilith is, and they have all kinds of weird beliefs about Lilith that aren't true. The Bible, it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical, the idea of Lilith, okay? Um, and so Adam and Eve had children, sons and daughters, we're told, and they married each other and had more children. And then at a certain point during the law, incest was said to be bad, done of them not to do it. It was a command of law for them not to do it. And I think it's kind of like, um, like dogs. When, if you take two purebred dogs and you breed them, even though they're related, you aren't going to have many problems. Um, you might have problems because they're purebred, but um, the more generations you go down and you breed brothers and sisters, it doesn't take very long before you get to some problems. And I think genetically that's happened in the human race so that they could marry in the beginning. Now, I'm talking about something scientific that I don't have a great understanding for, and I just kind of want to give that disclaimer out there. All right, I'm not a scientist. I don't know about genetics, all right? I'm just saying this is how I understand it to be. And so, yes, I believe that they that they married their sister, but it's the very beginning of mankind. And for whatever reason, there weren't problems with it. Um, remember that Abraham marries his half-sister, uh, Sarah, and so you did have some of that taking place. That was prior to the law as well. And you did have some of that taking place prior to the law. And you find that in the Bible and you find that in ancient days. All right. So hopefully that's helpful to you. And um, Andy, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. It's good to see you guys. Um, I see all of the responses that we have on here. Uh, thank you guys for that. I also got some responses back that the sound sounds really good. Um, so that's really good. I just want to be quiet here for a moment because I want to come back and check this near the end of the of the um, podcast. So I can hear my computer kind of humming a little bit. So we'll see if we can hear it there. But I do think that it helped uh, to fix some of the sound and I don't have to get so loud in order for the meter to get all the way up to the top where we're going to have good high quality sound. All right. So um, thank you very, very much. Uh, I, I see, uh, looks like we got all the questions today, which is good. I appreciate you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Hey, delight yourself in the Lord the rest of the day. 
Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Your desires will be changed and become more godly when you abide in Christ and his word abides in you. God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Love you. We will see you next time on our, on our Truth Quest podcast. Uh, this is our Q&A and you can subscribe to our podcast everywhere that you get podcasts. Just look for Robert Furrow and there are a few of our podcasts that will come up and uh, look for uh, Truth Quest, and uh, where you will find Truth Quest, Pod- Truth Quest podcast, which has our full-length teachings, our hot topics, and our Q and A's on them. All right, God bless you guys. I'm signing out. We will see you later on.